This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Rob Faye. Welcome to your Thursday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the fifth day of August. Yeah, we're making our way through the summer, aren't we? Hard to believe that the kids will be back in school in just a couple of weeks' time, and we will get ready for the fall. Now, speaking of the fall, we're going to get ready to talk about the fall classic. Which Major League Baseball teams made the best moves at the trade deadline, and who has positioned themselves to be a true contender as we get ready for the postseason? As well, we'll talk about the NFL inching closer towards their preseason, and the Canadian Football League kicks off their season tonight with Winnipeg and Hamilton reliving the 2019 Grey Cup matchup. All right, let's get to it. It's that one story that we talk about, that one story that rises to the top. Like a young macho man Randy Savage used to say, Oh, yeah! The cream always rises to the top. Here is the story that we call The Lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest. Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So yesterday we talked about the Canadian Football League and the challenges that they face as they get ready to open up the season, which is now tonight. As I mentioned seconds ago, Winnipeg getting ready to take on Hamilton. Now, yes, we're going to see the banner unfurl as the 2019 banner is a reminder of everything that went well in Winnipeg. But one of the things that I wanted to acknowledge today as well, that the Canadian Football League is doing right, is acknowledging the Every Child Matters situation, the movement, if you will. The Canadian Football League will acknowledge all of the families and the children victimized by Canada's residential school system, and they're going to do it for the entire 2021 opening week. This is the right move by the Canadian Football League. Now, they are also going to plan to virtually place the Every Child Matters logo on fields during games, and they are also planning acknowledgments to take place closer to the end of the month, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, which is a federal statutory holiday created to provide the opportunity to commemorate and recognize the legacy of residential schools. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, well, we have seen this from other sports before. For example, the Vancouver Canadians made acknowledgement of it, even though they're playing south of the border in Hillsborough, Oregon. We've seen it with the Fraser Valley Bandits, the only team in the Lower Mainland who professionally has been able to play games at home here in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. They also making that acknowledgement. But the Canadian Football League has roots in many communities, including some of those affected. They are the British Columbia Lions, not the Vancouver Lions, and I think it is the right move for BC to be making that acknowledgement. I also think it is great that Saskatchewan, the Rough Riders, will be making a very similar acknowledgement considering what we've heard from them in the news over the last couple of months with their discoveries on residential school land. So, the question that I have for you is have you put that story on the back burner? Because it is, in my estimation, the responsibility of all the major sports in Canada to continue pushing this ball forward. It can't just be these one-off groups. It can't just be a story for a couple of days, maybe even a couple of weeks, or every once in a while when a discovery is unfortunately made. This is one of the benefits of sport. Having the spotlight on you where you have a national audience throughout the course of a calendar year. 
For example, there's no reason that when the Vancouver Canucks and the rest of the Canadian teams make their way back to the ice that they can't acknowledge the Every Child Matters movement. And there's no reason that the Blue Jays can't make that acknowledgement and that the Raptors can't make that acknowledgement and that the CIS or what is now known as U Sports in the university circuit can't make that acknowledgement as well. What I'm trying to say is that there is an opportunity here within the Canadian landscape and professional sports to carry this torch 365 days of the year because it needs to be brought to the forefront. The problem in today's world where news is news today and then put on the back burner tomorrow because there's another shiny nickel that shows up, this is too important a story to put on the back burner and i actually tip my cap to the canadian football league for making this acknowledgement and not just doing it as a one-off but making sure it's a part of their entire opening week hey listen the canadian football league wants to focus on the game they want to focus on all the things that will bring fans back to the game but i actually think this helps in that cause and this isn't a marketing ploy this is just simply the right thing to do but when you think that the canadian football league owns this and makes sure that they are going to put the marks on the field to make sure that the officials are wearing the orange pins acknowledging the Ever Child Matters movement and also that the players will make acknowledgement as well. That to me speaks to the fans of Canada that this league represents them. That to me is bigger than marketing and commercials and advertising. It is showing that you're authentic it is showing that you have your finger on the pulse of what your communities are going through in Canada. And despite the fact that over the last 18 months, the Canadian Football League has been all over the grid, to see them make the right decision right out of the chute speaks to the leadership of the Canadian Football League and its teams. I love this move. I love that they acknowledged it ahead of time. And whether it's Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Calgary, or Edmonton, who all host games in week one, they will all acknowledge the tragedy Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as they should, and I'm proud that they are. All right, let's look at the rest of the stories. We're going to get to the diamond. We're going to talk a little ice. We're going to get into all the sports that are important to you and maybe even a few that uh, you're not familiar with. But that's the beauty of taking you to this one room of the sports bar where we house all of the information in the world of sports. Let me get you past the bouncer. Let me get you past all that line. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, I know there's a couple of people that listen to this show specifically that like to collect. And as you know, I am a big collector of jerseys, baseball cards, shoes. I don't know what it is. I'm not even sure when I started doing it, but I love collecting and I love completing my sets. And there's no doubt about it, if you're a collector, you always look at your stuff and think, boy, one day that's going to be worth something. Now, I've never struck the jackpot and I'm not into Pokemon, so I'm not sure if I'm ever going to find that Charizard card that's going to make me a millionaire. But even a million dollars will pale in comparison to the Honus Wagner T206 card. It is considered in the sports card world the holy grail. And rumor has it at the upcoming auction that's going to be taking place with SGC, it could fetch upward of $6 million. It is a 1909 Honus Wagner baseball card. It is considered by many the most coveted sports card to ever exist, and it's up for auction again. Now, the bidding is going to start at $1 million. 
but the experts at Robert Edwards Auction, who are actually selling the Wagner, saying that they predict that it will shatter that price. In fact, REA believes that the collectible has a chance to actually surpass the 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie card, which sold for $5.2 million this year. Dude, $5.2 million for a piece of cardboard. Now, if you don't know who Honus Wagner is, you're not alone. It's okay. This is about 1905 through 1915 where Honus Wagner was one of the best in baseball, an eight-time National League batting champion. He's a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. But that's not the only reason that the card is so valuable. The story goes that Wagner actually hated the card because it was made by a cigarette company, American Tobacco Company, and they only made a handful of those cards, which has created a huge demand over the years. Robert Edwards, the president of the company that is putting this up for auction, says, quote, this is the Mona Lisa of baseball cards, and it's a statement piece of epic proportions. The bidding on the card is active. It will end on August the 15th. The only question is, will it surpass the Mickey Mantle rookie card, which checked in at $5.2 million? Now, I'm not sure if you've been able to stay up late and watch the Dodgers and the Astros. It's time for Dodger baseball. But it might have been worth the price of admission, especially if you've got a long-term memory and can go back a couple of years when the Houston Astros cheated the game, and in particular, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who they beat in the World Series. While the LA fans have not forgotten about that, and they have been brutal to the Houston Astros starting on Tuesday night, where the Dodger fans finally got to see the Astros in person. because you gotta remember the pandemic prevented them from going to the ballpark last season. Boos raining down during the broadcast to Houston starting lineup. Cheaters was the primary chant and later in the game, fans actually threw trash bins onto the field. So now the Dodgers PA announcers reminding fans not to throw objects onto the field. There were fights in the stands. And last night, Max Serger made a lot of friends in La La Land as he helped beat the Houston Astros who won game one of that two-game series. To the Octagon, or at least something to do with the Octagon, it's been just over three weeks since Conor McGregor busted up his leg big time when he was taking on Dustin Poirier in that trilogy fight. But guess what? The notorious one is already standing on that busted limb, still wearing his walking boot, and yet is already putting himself through workouts on a daily basis. He broke his left tibia and fibula. He's got a big old titanium rod, plate, and screws to hold that whole thing together. And yet, Conor McGregor is making strides. And what's interesting is certain people are making comparisons to Tiger Woods, who also broke his tibia and fibula. Mind you, there might have been a few more injuries to him back on February the 23rd, and he was still using crutches five months after his accident. So Conor McGregor is definitely on the fast track, or at least that's what people are seeing from a distance. To the hardwood and Carmelo Anthony is getting what he wants after 10 years. It's finally happening. Carmelo Anthony has signed a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. The 10-time All-Star has been really close with LeBron for more than 20 years, but aside from them playing together in Team USA action, they've never played on the same NBA team until now. The Lakers have been pretty busy through their first two days of free agency, 
And Mello isn't the only big name. I guess you could still consider Dwight Howard a big name. This would be a phenomenal team if it was like 2014. But the purple and gold will suit up with Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, and now Carmelo Anthony. That is one heck of a starting five when you include Anthony Davis into the mix. To Tokyo 2020 we go. The International Olympic Committee, this is an interesting story, says that it wasn't aware of any plans to change the kickoff time for the women's soccer final between Canada and Sweden. IOC spokesperson Mark Adams was asked about the changing of the time for the gold medal match and said, quote, I'm not aware of any changes in the schedule at this time, unquote. Both teams have asked to avoid kicking off at the Olympic Stadium at 11 in the morning local time because the heat. The forecasted temperature is about 31, 32 degrees at kickoff and the Humidex has this feeling like it is 41 or 42. The problem is a later time might clash with the track and field that is set to go in the evening on Friday. Reports saying that maybe a secondary venue could be in play for the Olympic soccer finale and they are available. To make a decision like this, just for perspective of how big the Olympics are, if you want to change something to do with the Olympic scheduling, you got to go through the IOC, Tokyo officials, and soccer's FIFA, as well as the broadcasters. Let's hope they can make that change, because playing a gold medal game in triple digits Fahrenheit just isn't good for anybody. And very quickly to the ice, I don't know if this is a story or it's not a story, but a couple of days ago, ESPN decided that they were going to sign up John Tortorella, Torts, as an NHL studio analyst. And it has rubbed a number of people the wrong way. It's not the first time that he's been in front of a camera. He was an in-studio panelist for TSN before he got a job coaching the New York Rangers and then the Vancouver Canucks and then the Columbus Blue Jackets, where he has been very hot and cold with certain members of the media over that span. So now all of a sudden you look at him getting back in front of the camera for another time and there are certain people in the media wondering why coaches who are tough on the media and sometimes unfair to the media get the plum jobs at certain points. Listen, I've never had an interaction with John Tortorella, but I can tell you this. When you have an opportunity to bring an analyst in-house who's got 673 victories, has coached in 120 Stanley Cup playoff games, and won a Stanley Cup, I'm sorry. Maybe you put your morals off to the side, because if the worst thing that he's done is call certain people in the media jerks, I think the media's just got to deal with it. So what? He wasn't nice to you. He's got enough experience as a two-time Jack Adams award winner that a lot of people that watch hockey are going to want to hear from him, whether he is abrasive to the media or not. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, we're just going to keep on rolling this one forward. I've had many people ask if I'm going to talk about why I have started a professional wrestling company. I haven't done it myself, but I will let you behind the curtain as to why, after everything that we've been through, you and I, that is the road that I am traveling next. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by me and my new enterprise, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Hey, what would happen if a wrestling mark from way back decided that he was gonna start his own wrestling promotion here at home and have some of the most talented wrestlers in North America hang out with him? Well, tell you what, you could follow our journey at www.nationextremewrestling.com and stay tuned for show dates in the coming months. 
Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. Okay, welcome back to Sports Bar Radio. I'm Rob Fay, your Thursday edition. And again, my thanks to Equity Guru, the company that sponsors this fine show. Uh, my thanks to Galen, to Chris Perry, to JP Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi, and also my producer extraordinaire, Jay Swing, my brother from another. He and Flipout coming out with the Flip and Jay show. This week, they did a full hour plus on Big Daddy Kane. I'm just saying, if you're a hip-hop guy, you cannot say that Big Daddy Kane isn't one of the most influential guys of uh, the 90s. I mean, Smooth Operator is an anthem. But uh, I digress. Okay, so before I went to the break, I mentioned that I was going to get into the wrestling conversation just because, yes, it is true. Myself and Chris Perry, he of Equity Guru, have teamed up to start a wrestling promotion. It's called Nation Extreme Wrestling. Yes, the branding is straight across the board. But what makes it really interesting is that it's coming at a time in my life, in particular, where I feel that I'm ready for it. I think a lot of people say, you know what, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be this. And one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be that. And you're never really prepared. You hope that you've got enough experience or you hope you're educated enough that when those opportunities come or you've got a bankroll big enough to cover your mistakes, that when the opportunity hits you and you're finally ready, it all makes sense. And I think if I'd have had this opportunity five years ago, ten years ago, it would have fallen flat on its face. But from running a restaurant unsuccessfully, from being a baseball broadcaster that I think went pretty well, to being the voice of an EA Sports video game for 11 seasons, I think that went pretty well. There's a lot of successes and a lot of failures that have gotten me to the point now where I sit in front of a bunch of wrestlers and say, you know what, follow me and follow Chris and follow this new brand that nobody knew about a couple of weeks ago, and let's do this together. Am I ready? I am. And I think the beauty in this moment is that I'm starting to see that I am ready. And you'll always second-guess yourself in life. There are always going to be moments where you think, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And so many people walk through life, and they never went after what they truly wanted. Like, one of the things that I'm most proud of is I went for it. For example, when I was working at News 1130 in their sports department, it was a pretty cushy job. Gary Rabel, the program director, was ready to tab me as the next sports director when he retired. Then all of a sudden, I got an opportunity to go work in minor league baseball. I ended up being with the Vancouver Canadians for 14 seasons, and that got me the opportunity to work in, even though I didn't get the Toronto Blue Jays job, just the chance to audition for that job in the wake of Jerry Howarth retiring was something that I'll never forget. Those opportunities, combined with EA Sports, combined with everything else, the failed restaurant experience that I took on back in 2014, it all added up to experience. And I think if you don't have experience, you got no shot. Like I said, had I not gone through the baseball, the restaurant, all of the different experience, even relationships, all of it, it wouldn't have allowed me to have the peace of mind now when I can look at this young wrestling core and say, you know what, I've been there. I understand what you're going through. I understand the challenges financially. I understand what it's like to travel on the road to small cities and try to put on a show. I have um, I have been battle-tested and am ready for this. But one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about this experience over the last month when it comes to building this wrestling company is just reflecting on my love for wrestling. And yes, it is entertainment. And yes, they are athletic. But the one thing that I've enjoyed is just the journey 
that has gotten me from being a fan at Maple Leaf Gardens back when I was a kid to actually standing in front of a group of wrestlers saying, you know what, let's do this. There's always a story. There is always something that makes you raise your eyebrows. And I thought I would have a little fun with this. So I don't know if you ever listened to Rob Fay Nation Radio on TSN 1040, a show that I had a couple of months ago before the demise of TSN Radio here in Vancouver. But one of the things that I had was this computer simulator. And so what I've done for you is I've just put in WWE stars. It will spit out a random name and I will do my best if I've ever crossed paths with them to tell you a story about that wrestler or at least a recollection or a memory of said wrestler. So uh, one thing I will say is the wrestlers that I've put into this machine were all congregated at the WrestleCon when I was at my second WrestleMania down in Orlando. So yeah, I might not have met them, but they were definitely in the same room with me. And I'm hoping that some of the names that get spit out of this generator uh, are situations that I can bring to you. So let's get to it. There are 20 wrestlers' names in this. I will try to give you five or six of them. I will do my best to tell you stories if, in fact, I have crossed paths with these wrestlers. If not, I'll just say pass. All right, I'm going to hit the button. Let's get to it. Wrestling personality number one, Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, my God, Jake the Snake Roberts. You know what? (laughs) There's a fun... (laughs) This is this is going to be an interesting one because there's one really heart-stringy one and then there's one really funny one. So let me start with the one that I, I probably remember the most. So the lineup at these WrestleCons for some of the wrestlers is pretty significant. Um, some of the biggest ones that I saw, obviously, when Ric Flair at one point showed up, that was a big deal. Uh, you know what? Let me just get to this. So Jake Roberts had a pretty significant lineup in front of him as well. This was just, if memory serves me correct, a couple of months after Jake Roberts' resurrection, the uh, bio on him and the struggles that he had with alcohol and drugs and everything had come out. So anyways, we're making our way through the line, slow and steady. It's, I think memory serves me correct, it's 20 bucks to get your autograph or your photo with him. But anyways, so the child in front of us is in a wheelchair. And so the child eventually makes his way Jake Roberts, true story, and I would say that the average person is with Jake Roberts for 45 seconds, maybe a minute. We were waiting, and we were probably there 15, 20 minutes, and finally, we're almost at the front of the line, but the young boy in the wheelchair finally makes it just in front of us. Jake Roberts stopped everything that he was doing, knelt down, hung out with that kid for probably five, six, seven minutes, looked him in the eye dead straight and just had this amazing conversation so i think it was somewhere in the middle where the young boy or his dad offered the 20 dollars to jake roberts jake roberts just pushed the hand away and said no way and had this authentic genuine conversation with this young boy and i'm not even sure if the young boy knew who Jake Roberts was, because you think of it, it's probably been, what, 10, 15 years since Jake was, since Jake the Snake was a guy, and the young boy couldn't have been more than 10 or 11 years old. So again, maybe he had watched Resurrection, which would be heavy for a kid to watch, but anyways. Uh, but I'll never forget that. I just thought it was so cool and so moving that Jake the Snake Roberts, whose persona is always quiet and lethal and deadly and the Snake Damien and all that stuff, was just as authentic as it came. Now... The young boy eventually gets his picture. He gets a little bit of merchandise and makes his way off. It's our turn to go up. So, I mean, you want to talk about, 
I don't know, going from this really authentic moment to two boobs that are finally there with our sweaty $20 bills in our hands. And, uh, oh my God. So I am just at the point where it's like, let's just get the picture. Let's shake his hand, maybe get an autograph or something to move on. Because the lineup is a pretty significant one behind us. A, there's other guys that we want to get to. B, there's a big lineup behind us. And C, Jake's probably been doing this for a couple of hours. So anyways... I'm just there, I put my arm around him. He was really cordial. Like, I will say this about Jake Roberts, the persona that you see on TV, nothing like him. And I had assumed, based on how interactive he was, that he was in a much better place than he was during the filming of Resurrection, which of course was Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Hall, uh, Jake the Snake, and uh, it's really one of the great success stories. So anyways, I guess that feature film really affected my friend, Lethan who's a good friend of mine. We've been friends for 20 years. So I'm there really quickly trying to get the picture, move off the stage, you know, exit stage left, get on with the next thing. And for some reason, Lethan just looks at Jake Roberts and he's like, so how you doing, Jake? And Jake's just like, good. And like, Lethan's like, no, like, are, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? Like, Lethan all of a sudden assumes that Jake's going to get into this, like, in-depth conversation about, you know, overcoming things. Jake's like, yeah, bro, cool. <laughs> Give me your 20 bucks. Get the fuck off the stage. Like, it was amazing to me how he just didn't get the memo. Dude, I dogged Lethan the entire trip. I was like, what were you, like, what were you trying to do there? Like, were you trying to become, like, best friends with Jake the Snake Roberts? I just think it was so funny the way that he interacted. But it just goes to show you that certain, you know, fans of wrestling watch a feature film like that and and really feel a connection. I get it. It makes sense. I just didn't think it would happen at WrestleCon. Wrestling personality number two, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Okay, this is not random at all. There is no way that we start with Jake the Snake Roberts and then go to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I have told this story Probably two or three times on TSN. Oh, fuck. Okay, fine. I'm going to tell this one right now. I'm sorry for the swearing, by the way. It's how you know I'm relaxed and I'm just chilling out here with you. Uh, okay, so when I went to WrestleMania, one of the things that I did was I got credentialed. The program director at TSN 1040, Trevor Martins, I contacted him. I said, listen, I would love to be a media guy, which I thought would maybe just give me a little bit of extra access to certain events like a WrestleCon. So... Anyways, we get approved by the WWE. I end up having the seat. I didn't use it because I end up sitting with Lethan anyway, but we'll we'll get to that another day. So anyway, and by the way, this is the WrestleMania where the Undertaker fake retires. You know, he finishes his match, then he leaves his uh, gloves and his hat and his jacket in the ring. Anyways, so we're at the WrestleCon, and I have set up a interview with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. God, I feel like I've told this so many times. I, I'm going to try to keep this one on the straight and narrow here. Anyways, Hacksaw's another guy that has a really long lineup. And you know, you'd be amazed what people bring for people to sign. Like from metal chairs to two by fours for Hacksaw Jim Duggan, a lot of American flags, because you know that he was, you know, Mr. America, super patriotic. But so, anyways, it's a super long line. And I decide for some reason that I'm going to pull my media card. You know, I'm going to put my lanyard on with the little thing that says staff or, you know, access, whatever you want to call it. And I'm just like, screw it. I'm not going to wait in this half-hour line. I've got a five-minute window where I can interview him because that's all they really give you. They don't give you like this 20-minute sit-down like you're Diane Sawyer or, you know, you're like George Strombolopoulos. So anyways, I go to the front of the line. I don't, I'm not sure if it's his like 
worker or if it's his wife or if it's somebody who's navigating the waters for him. He basically uh, just signs the stuff. Somebody takes the money, fistful of 20s, and off they go. So anyways, I said, listen, to the lady, I go, uh, you know, I'm Rob with the media from Vancouver. I've got a scheduled uh, interview with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I would love to do this. So she says, well, let me go ask. So I'm sitting there right away. I'm like, heck yeah, suckers. All you guys in line are going to have to wait while I do this interview. So all you do is you see her go over there. She whispers into Hacksaw Jim Duggan's ears. I'm going to try not to overmodulate as I say this, but Hacksaw doesn't even look up from what he's signing. She basically whispers in his ear like, hey, you know, there's some media guy over to the right. He wants to do this interview with you. And honest to God, all you hear is, no, and I'm not lying to you. I died inside. Because, you know, his thing was like he'd look with his cross eyes and he'd be like, ho. So he changed the ho to no and might have let it go for two to three seconds. Now, I don't think there was anybody in line that really knew what was going on, but I'm not lying to you. I don't think in my whole life, and I've been through some sticky situations, I don't think I've ever had a worse walk of shame in my life. Still with that media badge around my stupid neck. I didn't ask hardly anybody for interviews after that. That was that bad. And I never did get to interview Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I didn't even go get his autograph. He didn't get my stinky 20 bucks, any of it. I just had to leave. Like, it was the best dunked on moment I think I've ever experienced. And my friend Leafin was there for that one as well, and he let me have it. Wrestling personality number three, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I think it's actually Bobby the Brain Heenan, but who's asking? Uh, this is a special one because I did have a great conversation, and I say that quote-unquote with Bobby the Brain Heenan and his wife. We were at the WrestleCon, and I didn't know that Bobby the Brain Heenan was there. And so all of a sudden, I'm walking my way through, and I see, I, I can't remember if it was, who did I see that I was trying to get to? Maybe it was Rob Van Dam or somebody like that. But anyways, weaving my way through the crowd, and some of the displays for the wrestlers are really big, like they've got the backdrop and it's the whole to-do, and some of them are very subtle. So I'm weaving my way towards the back corner, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, in his wheelchair, with his wife at his side, at a very humble table, is Bobby the Brain Heenan, who I consider, and I, and again, I know there's been some great managers over the time that I've been on this planet, He's my favorite. He might not be the best, but he was my favorite. He was a great color commentator, an amazing antagonist, and beautiful uh, as just a straight manager. I mean, you think of all the things with Piper's Pit and what he... I don't know. Anyways, you can go a hundred different ways with Bobby the Brain. So, I don't know what it was, but I wasn't scared. So, anyways, he had a trachea because he couldn't breathe. He was on his, la on his last stages of cancer and could hardly talk if at all, and his wife was there. And it was really funny because there was this weird calm that came over me, and I just knew that I was there to kind of tell him something. I didn't really need a whole lot from him back, and it was just like I told him, listen, man, I have been a fan of yours since I was this tall, uh, since I was a kid growing up. You were one of my first action figures that I ever got. You know those, what, eight or nine-inch figurines? And I just loved everything about Bobby the Brain Heenan, the weasel. And you could see in his eyes that it meant a lot to him. And he didn't look anything like what he did back in the days. So obviously cancer had ravaged him, but it was really cool. It, like almost humbling, maybe that's the word, but just 
To be able to look somebody that you watched as a child growing up and had such an appreciation for, and all of a sudden you're right across from him, you know he can't respond. He's not like all these other wrestlers that are effervescent and they're all, you know, yelling and screaming to have a good time. He's just there signing his stuff. Some of this stuff was pre-signed, if memory serves me correct. And it was just that moment where you got to look at somebody that you really admired from a distance for years, getting to tell that person how much you appreciated, how they, you know, respected their craft was really special to me. I would say there's nothing else that the randomizer is going to be able to spit out in this segment that will top the moment that I had with Bobby the Brain Heenan. It was it was really something else. Wrestling personality number four, Lonely Virgil. Dude, did she just call him Lonely Virgil? It, like it's just Virgil. <laughs> Okay, uh, you know what? It's amazing that we go from the sincerity of Bobby the Brain Heenan to one of the most bizarre experiences that I've ever come across with an athlete in any sport. So, you know Virgil, the bodyguard for the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. For those who are wrestling marks, you guys know what I'm talking about. But for those who don't, Virgil is an interesting character. I think his real name is Mike Jones, but... We're at the WrestleMania, and sure enough, we're at the WrestleCon. No, 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 we weren't at WrestleCon. This was the FanFest. And anyways, one of the tables amidst the chaos that is FanFest is Virgil. Now, Virgil's got a bit of a reputation as being a guy that shows up at random events. Nobody's ever in his lineup, hence the name Lonely Virgil. I think there's a website called, like, LonelyVirgil.net or whatever. But anyways, so sure enough, we're there, and he's got a version of the million-dollar belt with him. You know, the one that's got the dollar signs all encrusted in diamonds, quote-unquote? Well, anyways, he's there, and I go up, and right away, it's one of the most expensive tickets you'll get. It's $25.00. To get a picture with Virgil and hold on to the belt. I'm just like, whatever. You know what? It'd be cool to get a picture with Virgil just to say that you did. And so we'll go up and Virgil's an interesting dude. He kind of mumbles a little bit and he talks fast and kind of had bad breath. But, you know, whatever. You know, you're working the whole day. I guess it is what it is. Give him the 25 bucks. Puts it in his pocket. Real quick picture and it's like, piss off. (laughs) Just kind of like... Well, that was underwhelming, but at the same time, you got the belt and the opportunity to take a picture, and you go onward and upward. So, fast forward to about, I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes later, and we're still just rumbling around. It takes hours to get through all of this, because there's so many uh, wrestlers that'll show up. Maybe you're in the far back, or the front, or the side, or whatever. You can spend a whole day at these fan fests. It's really cool. So, what, 15, 20 minutes later, we're walking, and all of a sudden, we see Virgil. I guess he's taking his 15, or he's taking his break or something, going to the bathroom. And I'm like, Virgil, what's up? So, it's just me being stupid, right? He comes over, and he's like, hey, what's going on, dog? And he gives me, like, the the handshake, you know, the three-stage handshake, where it's like, what's up? So, after that, he just ends up walking with us for, like, five minutes. It's me, my really good friend, Lethan, and Virgil. And we're just sitting around and chewing the fat, and I'm just kind of like, this is cool, man. Like, I didn't have to pay for this. And now, all of a sudden, we're talking about where he's from and all the things that he's up to. And But he's always got kind of this, like, woe is me, like, hard done by kind of vibe. And you're just kind of like, okay, all right, man, we'll, uh, we'll see you later. So, sure enough, that's the second time that we've had an encounter with Virgil. One time was 25 bucks, got a picture with a belt. The second one, just passing by. 
So we go out to the main foyer because this is a huge convention center and now we're looking for other things to do, other places to go. I want to buy one of those championship belts so we're looking for the WWE store and sure enough as we're getting ready to go back into the fan fest there's a security guy at the door who won't let Virgil back into the fan fest. Now, you got to remember, Virgil's got a table there. He's signing there. But I guess he didn't have his credential. He didn't have any media or uh, he didn't have any identification. So now he can't get back in. Well, guess what? I've got my media pass with that lanyard that is still around my neck from that moment with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I go up to the security guy with my friend Lethan and I'm like, oh, he's with us. So the guy looks at my credentials and he's like, okay. So I get Virgil back into the event. Well, now he's my best friend. Now he's talking about ear off. He's like this, that, the other. And, uh, you know, we should go get a beer. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like, this is the most amazing thing ever. I've gone from 25 bucks to get a picture with the belt to passing by Virgil while he's on his way to take a leak to getting him back into the event that he accidentally locked himself in. And now he wants to go get a beer. So sure enough, last time I see Virgil, the fourth time in one day, and it's, you know, time to get a beer with Virgil, Mike Jones or whatever his name is. So we go there and I'm thinking, surely this guy's taking my $25. I did him a solid by getting him back into the event. So I just get the most basic of beers. I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, cost this guy too much money. I think they're already overpaying. We're just outside of the venue because I don't think you could drink in the venue if memory serves me correct. And anyhow, guess who had to foot the bill? Yep. I'll never forget it. Virgil did be dirty after everything that happened. Never saw him again, but four times in one day did I cross paths with the bodyguard of the million dollar man. Wrestling personality number five, Gail Kim. Ooh, good one. Gail Kim. I haven't heard that name for a while. I always thought she would go on to bigger, better things. But um, this is a good one, too. So anyways, we had just finished coming from Jake the Snake Roberts. And actually, if memory serves me correct, it went Jake the Snake Roberts, Gail Kim, and then Hacksaw Jim Duggan, which is good. So I still had a little bit of confidence. But Gail Kim... Obviously, very successful wrestler. I think she was better with some of the other circuits. But anyways, it's not exclusively WWE stars in these events. But anyways, so I go up and I'm right away. I've got my $20 in my hand. Basically, across the board, it's usually $20. Unless you're like Ric Flair, it's a little bit more. Shawn Michaels, a little bit more. But uh, anyways, long and the short of it, $20. And immediately, I'm like, you know what? Let's get a picture. I would love to get a picture with Gail Kim. So she's like, how's it going? And and she's super cordial. And I'm just like, oh, it's fine, man. I didn't realize this was so big. I had no, I've never been to a, a event like this. This is kind of surreal for me as I'm just drinking it all in. So eventually there's this awkward moment where I'm still there and I'm waiting because I can't find where my friend Lethan went. And all of a sudden I'm there and Gail Kim is there and there's nobody in her line. I don't know if I'm, if I should leave or if I got to stick around and I don't know what to say. Like I'm kind of awkward in those moments as crazy as it sounds. And so I'm looking at her and you know what I want to ask her and it's got nothing to do with wrestling. For those who know Gail Kim, she is the wife of Robert Irvin or Irvine. Yeah, Robert Irvine. He's the guy, the chef from Mission Impossible, the guy with the really big arms, you know, the Australian accent, and he looks like he could lift a house with his arms. 
So, of course, me and my awkward fashion, I'm like, so how's Robert? And it was so weird because I, I didn't know if I should say, so how's Robert Irvine of Mission Impossible or Mission Possible or whatever the hell it's called. And she just looked at me like very kind of like politely and she's just like, oh, he's well. And I'm like, good, good. <laughs> so eventually, it was just kind of one of those moments where I just kind of sauntered off and I felt like a complete idiot the whole time because A, I couldn't find my friends. I'm kind of looking over her shoulder, seeing where he is. Is he going to get in the picture? Is he not? I find out later he's over hanging out with Greg the Hammer Valentine who looked like he was completely gone. Anyways, it was, I just remember it being really awkward and uncomfortable. And there is a picture. I'm not sure where it is. It might be on one of my eight Facebook accounts over the years. But a picture of me and Gail Kim. And I just looked. I was smiling way too much. She looked awkward. The whole thing was a disaster. And the only thing that I could think of is how is her chef husband? Which I'm probably not the first guy to ask that. <laughs> Wrestling personality number six, Rob Van Dam. Hmm, not much for this one, although Bob Marjanovic has called me Rob Van Dam for what, 20 years? The guy is always called the RVD, does the thing with the thumbs that go to the shoulders, and he's like, Rob Van Dam. I didn't know this. Rob Van Dam is huge into the pot, the marijuana, whatever you want to call it. He's like one of the biggest baked guys in the history of wrestling. But I will say this as much as you poke fun at Rob Van Dam, if you think of what the wrestlers put their bodies through, and if they find that marijuana or that kind of you know healing tool works for them, I got no problem with it, man. I have never been anti-marijuana. It's not something that I partake in, but at the same time, you think of what these wrestlers go through, their schedules, the toll that they take on their body. If that helps Rob Van Dam, then more power to him. We crossed paths very briefly. I got my picture with him. Um, not a lot to it, man. Like, that was one of those ones that was kind of like, hey, picture, 20 bucks, click. <laughs> By the way, I know what you're thinking. You must have taken a lot of money to this thing. Yeah, it was, uh, I hate to say it, it was money well spent. Wrestling personality number seven, Mean Gene Okerland. Ooh, this is a good one. So you got to remember, as a broadcaster, these are the ones that actually endear myself to them. These are the personalities that I really like. So uh, Mean Gene, best interviewer in sports entertainment history, a guy that is an absolute fixture. Boy, he could bring out the best in everybody. And um, somebody told me that Michael Cole was best interviewer. I'm like, go to bed. Anyway, so Mean Gene's kind of tucked away on the far corner. I think he's over by that idiot gangrel. And long of the short of it is I go up to him and I'm like, hey, Mean Gene, and he, right away, great voice, looks you straight in the eye, starting to get a little older at the time, uh, but man, was he as sharp as a tack. So I told him, and i just like, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. He's like, where are you from? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm down from Vancouver. And dude, God's honest truth, man, this guy knew intersections. He knew venues. He knew people that had come from Vancouver that had gone on to wrestle. He knew guys from this region. Got to remember, the Pacific Northwest is, I've been told, the black hole of amateur wrestling and the indie circuit. So Mean Gene just blew my mind with how much he knew about this region, how much he knew about Vancouver, asked about the penthouse. Everybody asks about the penthouse. It's, it's so bizarre that they think of that as like the standard. But anyways, um, and the voice just 
you'll never find anybody else's like Mean Gene. I mean, there's great voices that have come through the annals of wrestling, but just remember that you don't hear with Hulk Hogan. Like, just, ah, it was so good to actually have that moment with Mean Gene Okerlund. He looked you in the eye the whole time. He asked you about you. He was so engaged. And you know what was funny is there was no lineup for him, which to me... And again, I know he's from the WWF era. It's not as cool as some of the newer guys. But, uh, man, I just... I could have spent a lot more time than I did. I get really awkward at about the two, three-minute mark where I feel like I'm almost bothering them. I'm sure they've had marks that sit there way longer and, quote-unquote, waste their time. But yeah, that's one guy I wish I could have wasted a little more time with because that guy's probably a Rolodex of information. Probably would have been more than happy to give you all the time in the world so long as there's not a lineup. And uh, I probably left too early. I was just more over... I don't want to say overwhelmed, but I was just... I really didn't want to over... Stay my welcome. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. But yeah, Mean Gene, one of the best people that I had crossed paths with across the board. Wrestling personality number eight, Badass Billy Gunn. Okay, last one here. Badass Billy Gunn. Uh, one part of Degeneration X. That's how I will always remember him. Him and the Road Dog. I got to think, for my money, when I was growing up, one of the best tag teams across the world. And no, you know what? Let me rephrase that. Maybe not one of the best tag teams I've ever come across. One of the best mic workers that I've ever come across. Road Dog, extraordinarily good. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X proudly brings to you its WWF Tag Team Champion of the World, the Road Dog, Jesse James, the badass Billy Gunn. The new age Badass Billy Gunn, couple of incarnations. The whole Mr. Ass thing was not necessarily for me, but I don't think it was meant for me, so to speak. Kind of of the Rick Rude, Val Venus, Mr. Ass. You know, they're obviously playing to the females in the crowd, but I digress. Let's talk a little bit about Badass Billy Gunn, because one of the most effervescent personalities, and that was a guy that when you walk in the room, you just know he commands it. And it's not because he's got this overpowering persona, just one of the nicest guys you'll ever come across. His hair was purple, it was up in the man bun, uh, but I don't know, what was he, mid-40s at the time? Still chiseled, still ripped, still looked like he could wrestle, probably still was wrestling, matter of fact, back at that time. Just one of those guys that made you feel like a million bucks. And I actually think he's underrated. Like, when I look back, who was I having this conversation with? I said that he's kind of like Dolph Ziggler. Like, Ziggler's one of those guys who's got great skill, great persona, decent on the mic, and just never gets over. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, they're both ab guys. They're both blonde hair. No, I just think that they're one of those guys that's a, an IC guy, but never a heavyweight guy. And uh, badass Billy Gunn, I don't want to say he was underrated, but maybe underappreciated. And he was a great part of DX. Like, you think back to that. That's up there with NWO. That's up there with the Four Horsemen. Like, you could honestly put D-Generation X for sure in the top three. Or top four of the greatest alliances in the history of wrestling. And he's a part of the conversation. So when I was having this conversation with him, and we... We're just exchanging pleasantries. We're only doing it for a couple of minutes. I was just telling him how awesome the event was. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, who you been able to talk with? Which to me was really cool. And just, you see all these little guys doing their podcasts across of him. And everybody's looking. And I'm sure they've all asked him for his time or whatever. But he was just like this, uh, 
kid in the candy store guy. It was really neat to see that a guy that's of that stature and of one of the greatest groups in the history of wrestling wasn't like a, yeah, 40 bucks guy. He was, uh, yeah, like, so did you get a chance to talk to me and Gene? And, oh, you know, he's such a great guy. Like, just one of those kind of personalities. So um, anything but a Mr. Ass. But at the same time, when you looked at and I was looking up to him. You think he was like 6'2", 6'3", if memory serves me correct? What a specimen. Like a very handsome man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can see why the ladies like him. Okay, I'm gonna stop it here. We have to stop it here. And what a guy to stop on, Mr. Ass. We should, you know what, we should do this again. Pick the sport. It doesn't even have to be wrestling, but I just wanted to go down wrestling because our company, NEW, is about to announce some show dates. I cannot let you know what the show dates are just yet, but just know that NEW Wrestling is coming to a jurisdiction near you. If you're in the lower mainland, stay close. You can follow it at Nation Extreme Wrestling on Twitter, on Instagram, on Twitch, on all that stuff. TikTok, Facebook, you name it. And uh, we will definitely have some information for you in the coming days. Okay, that wraps up your Thursday edition of Sports Bar Radio. Thanks for going down memory lane with me. I know this isn't your prototypical show, but uh, how cool is that? The randomizer coming through the <laughs> coming through the clutch when I needed it the most. And uh, we'll do this again one more time tomorrow. What do you say? You and I get back together right around lunchtime. I look forward to sharing some sporting news with you then. And uh, more than anything, please share the word of what we're doing. Please review, subscribe, like, and um, let's spread the word. We're always trying to grow Sports Bar Radio. We're fast approaching our 100th episode of Sports Bar Radio, which blows my mind just on its own. Uh, my thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. I'm going to do this one more time. I did the roll call a couple of moments ago. If you'll bear with me, I'm going to do it one more time. Jay Swing, thank you for everything. My thanks to Galen, JP Chung, the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi, and of course, Chris Perry, who has given me the opportunities to do both wrestling and the show that you just listened to. I will be back with you in less than 24 hours. Until then, this has been Sports Bar Radio. I'm Rob Fay. Have yourself a fantastic afternoon. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.